Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of gore, sex work, murder, and assault. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. September 12, 1907 was one of the hottest days of the year, and Bert Shaw had just finished a long day of work on the London Railway. The sun beat down relentlessly as he made his way back to his flat in Camden Town. Bert hustled through the train station, anxious to get home. His mother was arriving today to meet his partner, Emily Dimmick. He glanced down at his pocket watch. The women were probably already sitting in the parlor together. Naturally, Bert was a bit nervous, but he was confident that Emily would charm the old woman. She could charm just about anyone. As Bert continued his journey home, he imagined Emily laughing with his mother over a cup of tea. He couldn't resist smiling at the thought. Bert knew nothing of the horror that awaited him. He had no idea that his storybook romance had just turned into a tragedy. In fact... There was a lot about Emily Demick that Bert didn't know. This is Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our first episode on the murder of Emily Dimmock, who also went by the name Phyllis. This week, we'll cover Emily's early life and the night that led to her brutal murder. Next week, we'll track down a key suspect and examine why the case was never fully closed. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Emily Dimmock was born in the village of Standon in Hertfordshire, England, on October 20, 1884. 
She was the youngest of 15 children, and money was tight. Her father held down a series of odd jobs, never sticking to one for long. He didn't make much and expected his children to start working as soon as they could. At just 13 years of age, Emily left school and soon began working at a straw hat factory. The labor was monotonous and exhausting, especially for a young teen. Emily watched hundreds of glamorous hats zoom by every day as she stood for hours on end in the factory line. She daydreamed about the women who would wear them, the kind of wealthy, sophisticated ladies who truly lived and didn't just survive. A few years later, she saw an ad in the paper that changed everything. A wealthy couple in London was looking for a servant to live and work in their home. Emily applied immediately and was elated when the couple said yes. She moved to the city and was excited by the change of scenery, at least at first. She quickly learned that the daily grind of housework was just as de-stimulating as the factory line. Life as a housemaid did have one upshot, though. It gave Emily an inside look at the upper-class life she longed for. As she polished the floors, washed the clothes, and served the meals, she carefully observed her employers and their sophisticated friends. At the end of each day, she retreated to her room and practiced. Like a little girl playing pretend in the mirror, she lived out imaginary conversations with doting suitors and fellow elites. (laughs) Thank you for noticing. Yes, it is new. I had it flown in from Paris. <laughs> oh, the champagne is divine. The crystal glass truly makes all the difference. Oh, another dance? Oh, Mr. Higgins, what woman could possibly resist you? <laughs> her fantasies continued on her days off from work when she'd go window shopping in the West End. She gazed at lavish dresses and elaborate hats, envisioning herself in each one, and often she caught the eye of a young man or two along the way. (sighs) Well now, that is a lovely gown. Oh, isn't it? Just look at the beading. It must have taken years to create something so intricate. To be certain. Of course, dresses aren't just for looking, are they? Go in and try it on. Me? Well, I can't imagine it would be nearly as flattering on my frame. (laughs) I would love to. Unfortunately, I can't afford anything so extravagant. Nonsense. What good is a dress like that without a beautiful woman to show it off, hmm? Here, my treat. I insist. Sir, I couldn't possibly... You must! Of course, there's one condition. You are to wear it out to dinner with me tonight. Have we got a deal? Well, (laughs) I can't think why not. As years passed, Emily Dimmick's careful manners and stunning good looks attracted a wide range of suitors. Not only was she gorgeous, but she had a charm about her that instantly put men at ease. Over time, her dates offered to pay for more than just her company. Emily began to dabble in sex work and quickly realized that it paid more than her job as a housemaid. 
As early as 1904, she quit and committed to full-time sex work. She saw it as more than just a new job. To her, it was a chance to become a completely new person. She adopted an alias and asked her clients to call her Phyllis. Within no time, she'd built a small roster of clients. While it was far from easy or glamorous work, she enjoyed making a living on her own terms, and the bohemian lifestyle suited her. 20-year-old Emily adored the way London came to life at night. As soon as the street lamps were lit, thousands of men filed out of their offices and into the pubs that stood on every corner. Each of these men had a story to tell and money to spend. Phyllis listened kindly and eased their worries if only for a night. One of her most memorable clients was 18-year-old Bert Shaw. Haven't I seen you here before? Hmm, that depends, darling. On? On whether or not you like what you see. What's your name? Friends call me Phyllis. What's your real name, then? Oh, a curious one. Most boys your age aren't interested in things like that. Oh, trust me. I'm very interested. (laughs) Well, my Christian name is Emily. Most people around here know me as Phyllis. Well, Emily, I'm hoping you'll find I'm not like most people. Hmm. You're a sweet one, aren't you? You a sailor? In another life, perhaps. I'm a rail car attendant. Nothing so thrilling. (laughs) Oh, nonsense. With a number of people traveling each day, I'm sure you've got enough stories for a lifetime. Buy us another round and tell me all about it. Bert loved the way Emily listened. She gazed at him wide-eyed and took in every detail like it was the most interesting thing she'd ever heard. He knew that he was paying her for this, and her attentiveness was just part of the job, but he hoped it could grow into something more. As Emily Dimmick continued to grow her clientele, Bert Shaw became one of her favorite regulars. Unlike many of the others, he respected Emily and seemed to genuinely care about her well-being. Eventually, Bert let Emily know how he felt. He wanted something more with her, a serious relationship, maybe even marriage. And he worried for her safety. He was scared that one of the strange men that she brought home would turn out to be dangerous. Emily brushed off his concerns with a laugh. She assured him that she was more than capable of handling herself. Still, she noted the warm feeling Bert's interest gave her. By the spring of 1907, Emily was 22 years old. She'd been a sex worker for more than two years and was longing for a more steady sense of companionship. Bert remained eager to offer her just that. Let me take you away from here. (laughs) You can't be serious. I've never been more serious in all my life. Marry me. That is the afterglow talking. You don't want to tie yourself down to a woman like me. I've loved you every minute of the day for the last two years, Emily Dimmick. I want to share a life with you. And more than that, I want you to share a life with me. And me alone. Bert... You break my heart when you speak that way. I can't give you what you want. 
You're unable to marry me without your parents' blessing, and I highly doubt they'd relish the notion of you marrying a woman of my... profession. I've never questioned the things you've had to do to survive in this world, Emily. Besides, my family need not know of your past, but you should leave it in the past. Please, let me take care of you. When Bert asked Emily to marry him, he was 20 years old. That meant he was still considered a minor under British law and couldn't marry Emily without his parents' consent. For the time being, Bert relented on the idea of marriage and was happy to simply offer her a home. By the middle of 1907, the couple moved in together at 29 St. Paul's Road in Camden Town, London. To avoid any scrutiny from landlords, they pretended to be married and listed their names as Mr. and Mrs. Bert Shaw. By all accounts, the first few months of the couple's life together was perfectly comfortable. Bert worked the night shift, which meant he could spend most of the day snuggled up with Emily. The apartment was small, but it felt like home, at least when the sun was up. Nighttime was a different story. Emily was left alone all night, every night. She paced the two-room apartment, itching for the nightlife she'd grown accustomed to. She would try to distract herself by playing piano, but still she couldn't drown out all the muffled laughs from the drunk passers-by. Emily missed the excitement and independence of her old life. She missed the money, too. Her weekly allowance from Bert was only a fraction of what she used to make in a single night. Soon enough, she'd made up her mind. After Bert left for work and the landlord went to bed, Emily crept outside to become Phyllis once more. Coming up, Emily resumes her life as a sex worker in secret. Listeners, most of you probably know that I host another podcast series called Serial Killers. What you may be surprised to learn is that we've been working on that podcast for five years now. So as a special treat for the fans, we've prepared an anniversary series examining the mythology surrounding four of the most feared killers who ever lived. Kemper, Gacy, Bundy, Dahmer. This four-part series uncovers the men behind the mayhem, analyzing what turned them into killers and how their lethal behavior made them renowned for all the wrong reasons. Serial Killers is the perfect podcast for any true crime or storytelling fan, and this fifth anniversary special is not one to miss. Check it out today by following Serial Killers, free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. By the end of the summer in 1907, 22-year-old Emily Dimmick was balancing two worlds. By day, she was a housewife in Camden Town. But when night fell, she became one of London's most sought-after escorts. 
She hid her double life from both her fiancé, Bert Shaw, and the landlords, Mr. and Mrs. Stocks. She learned their schedules and calculated a careful routine. Every day, Bert left for work at 4.30 in the afternoon. He didn't return until 11.30 the following morning. Mr. Stocks went to bed first, around 8.30 at night. His wife would then sip a cup of tea in the kitchen and join him around 10 p.m. After she heard the landlady settle in for the night, Emily would sneak out and become Phyllis again. Most nights, she'd saunter down the street to one of her favorite haunts, a smoke-filled pub called The Rising Sun. She was well-known by the bar staff and patrons alike. Phyllis, I was beginning to worry we'd seen the last of that pretty face. What are you drinking? <laughs> Come now, John. Nothing can keep me away from you. Glass of bitters, if you please. Shall I put it on the gentleman's tab, then? Hmm, which gent are you referring to? The young fellow in the bowler hat there. Came up to the bar asking around for you. I assumed you two must be meeting. Ah, <laughs> right then. His tab will be fine. Thank you. There she is, the loveliest lady in all of Camden Town. <laughs> you flatter me, Mr. Wood. It's a pleasure to see you again. Where have you been hiding then, Phyllis? I've been lonely. I've just moved into a little flat down the way. Dreadfully tiring business. A new room, is it? Well, you must offer me a tour. Happy to oblige, of course. My landlady's a prude, but thankfully, she's also a sound sleeper. Cheers. One of Emily's least favorite regulars was 30-year-old Robert Wood. He was an artist from a well-to-do family who spent his days designing patterns for glassware. He visited sex workers frequently, but went to great lengths to keep these liaisons a secret. The staff at the Rising Sun didn't even know his name. Robert was younger and more handsome than Emily's average customer, and he paid well. Some sources claim that the two of them were seen together as early as 1905, in the very beginning of Emily's sex work career. But despite their familiarity, Emily was always a bit afraid of him. Most of Emily's clients were satisfied with the transactional relationship and happily said goodbye when the night was over. But Robert had been jealous and territorial from the beginning. And in the summer of 1907, he became even more so. Robert booked appointment after appointment during that time. Emily was unsettled by his behavior, but she did her best to treat him like any other customer and offered him a full range of services. Some nights he paid for sex and other nights he'd just want to lounge in her bed. He'd doodle in a sketchbook and Emily would flip through her collection of postcards. Hmm, Belgium. That's it. I'm still missing a postcard from Belgium. Other than that, I do believe I've collected one from all of Europe. What are these? Love notes from your other boyfriends? <laughs> now, now, Robert. Jealousy is unbecoming, even with a face like yours. Postcards are precious things. Plus, I love the artwork. I feel as though I'm curating my very own gallery. You have the beating heart of an artist, Phyllis. We're a rare breed, and we can always smell our kind. 
even if your uh, taste is lacking. What surprises, nay, offends me more, is that you have never requested a bit of art from me. <laughs> Requesting takes a bit of the romance out of it, wouldn't you agree? Well, then I'm insisting. Let me draw something for you. Here, this one's blank. I picked it up myself from a bloke who was selling them down at the Eagle. Make it proper, and dot a little something for me on the back. Robert took the postcard, holding it out of Emily's view while he sketched. When he finished, he turned it over for her to see. At the bottom of the card was a smiling cartoon sun peeking over the top of a hill. One eye was winking at her, and the carefully drawn rays extended into the text. Phyllis, darling, if it pleases you, meet me at 8.15 p.m. at the Rising Sun. Yours to a cinder. How shall I sign off? Just put Alice. Should Bert find it, he'll assume it's from the family. Who's this Bert, then? He's my old man. You're married? What is it to you, love? Doesn't change a thing between us, does it? As long as he doesn't keep me from seeing you tomorrow. So I'll see you at the Rising Sun, then? If I'm not busy, darling, let me check my schedule. Of course, Robert Wood wasn't the only man Emily entertained. Men of all ages and incomes were drawn to her charms and found themselves sneaking into the small apartment. As Robert spent more time with her, the idea of sharing Emily with other men grew more and more disturbing. Eventually, he even tried to interfere with her other clients. On September 10th, Robert watched from a shadowy corner of the rising sun while Emily worked the room. She just spied a potential new customer. He was a ship's cook and was still getting used to being around women after months away at sea. He looked at her nervously before turning away with his cheeks flushed. Her instincts took over and she cozied up to him. Mm, there's my handsome captain. <laughs> you flatter me, madam. I'm just a cook. However, I did just receive my pay for the summer in full. Thought I might come out to celebrate. Oh, and you're lonesome? What sort of a celebration is that? Hey, John, pour around for me and my friend, will you? Actually, Phil, I was sent to come over here and request your company down the way. Bowler had again. Seems insistent on having a word with you. Christ. Wait for me here, will you, love? I'll return to toast with you in just a bit. Emily snuck away with Robert Wood briefly and then returned to the bar. She didn't reveal a word of their conversation. Instead, she focused all of her attention on the lonely ship's cook. Later that evening, Emily brought the cook back home with her. He stayed until early morning when he awoke to the sound of ripping paper. Emily was sorting through her mail and had paused to read a letter. Her hands were trembling. Is everything all right? Bad news in the post or something? Something like that. It's an invitation to the Eagle for tonight. Doesn't sound so bad. Who's it from? That's just it. I think it's from one of my regulars. I can't give you his name, but 
He's the same fellow who pulled me away last night. Wait, he's written me before. Perhaps you could take a look and compare the writing for me? Well, I'm no expert in these things, but I'll take a gander. What do you think? Sure, I reckon these were penned by the same fellow. That's a funny drawing there. Is his name Alice? <laughs> no, that's an alias I asked him to use. He signed this new one as Bert, though he knows that to be the name of the man I'm promised to. Feels like he's mocking him. Looks like he's hoping to meet with you tonight. I know. Speaking plainly, I'd rather not. Though, I suppose I was going to be at the Eagle anyway. And he has been paying twice the market rate these days. Seems brave hanging on to posts from other men. Ain't you worried your old man will find them? Not usually. Most of my customers know better than to go around signing their names. Plus, I keep them in an album in my dresser. I wouldn't hang on to this one if I were you. You're right. Into the fire it goes, then. I'll hang on to this one, though. I can't resist that little drawing. After Emily burned the letter in the fireplace, she snuck the cook out of the flat and went on with her day. Her mind was racing. She busied herself with housework, starting with the bedroom. Bert was coming home soon, and she needed to dispose of any evidence of her secret life. But as she stripped the sheets, a horrifying realization dawned on her. She rushed to look at the calendar in her diary. It was September 11, 1907. Bert's mother would be arriving tomorrow. In an effort to quell the rising panic, Emily cleaned. As she did, she also thought about the invitation to the Eagle for that night. She was certain that it was from Robert Wood, and she worried that accepting the invitation would only lead him on more. He'd been so rude the night before, interrupting her time with another client. It really seemed like he was getting the wrong idea about their relationship. However, with Bert's mother in town, it could be a few days before she had the chance to go out again. Besides, if it was Robert, she knew the money would be well worth her time. When Bert returned from work a few hours later, he noticed that Emily was rather distracted. She was furiously tidying up the parlor and insisted she just wanted the place to look nice for his mother. Bert worried that his mother's visit was becoming too much for Emily. He just wanted to get the whole trip over with. He took a quick nap in their freshly made bed before returning to the railway station for his evening shift. Even Mrs. Stocks, the landlady, noticed Emily's preoccupied demeanor. She noticed that Emily was still wearing curling pins in her hair as she headed out the front door. The landlady wondered if she'd forgotten to take them out. Emily wished her landlady a good night and made her way to the Eagle. It was a popular piano bar where a thick haze of tobacco smoke could cover up any seedy behavior. But even through this dense fog, a few people saw Emily Dimmick and Robert Wood together that night. Apparently, Emily decided to accept the invitation after all. The two of them left the Eagle around 9.30. Emily Dimmick was never seen alive again. Coming up. 
Bert makes a horrifying discovery. And now, back to our story. By mid-morning on September 12, 1907, no one had heard from 22-year-old Emily Dimmick, including her landlady, Mrs. Sarah Stocks. Mrs. Stocks was just beginning her chores when she heard a knock at the front door. She opened it and found an unhappy older woman gripping a large carpet bag. The landlady couldn't help but notice the woman bore a resemblance to her tenant, Bert Shaw. She looked like his mother. What's this about, then? Are you lost? Dear heavens, I hope not. I'm looking for my son, Bertram Shaw. His girl was supposed to fetch me from the station, but she never showed. (gasps) I see. Well, you're in the right place. Bert should be back home from the station any minute now. The missus must be sleeping still. I'll fetch her now. Mrs. Stocks helped Bert's mother with her luggage and led her to a bench outside the couple's apartment. She knocked, but there was no answer. When Bert came home later that morning, he was surprised to see his mother waiting outside the door. Mother, what on earth are you doing out here? Where's Emily? Well, dear, I was hoping to ask you the same thing. I had to make my own way here, I'm afraid. That's odd. Uh, Perhaps you two missed each other. Here, uh, come on inside. Get comfortable. Bert reached for the door handle, only to find it wouldn't budge. It was odd. Typically, Emily left the door unlocked for him. He called to Mrs. Stocks, who brought down a set of keys. Leading his mother and Mrs. Stocks through the small parlor, Bert called out for Emily. He noticed that the door to the bedroom was still closed. He assumed Emily must have had too much to drink the night before and was still sleeping it off. He started to head inside to wake her, but once again he was stopped. The room had been locked from the inside. He pounded on the door. Still, he heard nothing. Now, worried that something was seriously wrong, Bert didn't stop to think. He kicked in the door and it swung open. It was dark but a sliver of light revealed enough to send Bert's heart into his throat. Emily was splayed out on their bed, completely nude. A gash ran across her neck, her head nearly separated from her body. The group fled in horror. Police were called to survey the scene. The place had been ransacked, with drawers pulled out and items strewn all over, Emily's postcard album had been removed from its usual hiding place and was lying open on top of the sewing machine. Postcards were scattered across the floor. It looked like the killer had cleaned his hands in the porcelain wash basin. The stagnant water was a sickening shade of pink. The injuries to Emily's throat were brutal and extensive. The position of her body made it look like she'd been attacked in her sleep. During his interview, police were forced to ask Bert some awkward questions about Emily's love life. We understand how difficult this must be for you, Mr. Shaw. Take as much time to answer as you need. I'll help however I can. Do you notice anything missing from the apartment? Her purse. Maybe some jewelry. All right, very good. 
Now, um, this next question is going to be a bit tougher. Judging from the way she was left, the examiner is confident she had sex shortly before she died, and then she fell asleep next to the culprit. Now, you said you were at the station this whole time, but that leaves some questions open. Do you think your wife could be this, um, comfortable with anyone else? She's not my wife. Not in the law's eyes, anyway. When we met, she was working the streets for money. I tried to free her from all that. I fear she didn't want to be rescued. Ah, I see. And did you have any reason to suspect that she resumed her old line of work? If I did, I pushed it away. I'm sure sometimes I'd come home and smell tobacco lingering on the sheets. I don't smoke, but I figured it might be the landlord or something. Oh, God. What a fool I've been. Easy there, son. Take a deep breath. If it's all right by you, I'm going to send a few men down to the train station to verify your whereabouts last night. Be my guest. Bert Shaw was the first to be removed from the list of suspects. Multiple people saw him at work that night, and the police couldn't help but feel sorry for him. The brutal manner and circumstances of Emily's death would be enough to shatter men four times his age. After Bert told the police about Emily's history as a sex worker, they tried to find all the men who could have been in bed with her that night. They began nightly patrols of the neighborhood and stopped into local drinking establishments. They showed the staff a faded photo of Emily Dimmick, asking, Have you ever seen this woman? It didn't take long for the bartenders at the Eagle or the Rising Sun to recognize her. They told the police that she was a steady companion to the men of Camden Town. These interviews led the investigators to the ship's cook. He was the last client Emily saw the night before she died. (laughs) Relax, son. If we were arresting every bloke who paid for a woman's company, there'd be no men left in London. We just want information. I rarely ever do that sort of thing. I swear, she was just different. She was easy to be with. I'd imagine so. How long were you with her then? We went back to her place the night of the 10th. I stayed over until the next morning. I was hoping to meet with her again that night of the 11th, but she'd already received a letter inviting her out to the Eagle. Hmm. A letter, huh? Did she say who she was meeting? Uh, She wouldn't say. Uh, Confidentiality is part of her business. But she did seem nervous. Said she'd rather not go if it was the bloke she thought it was. She had me look at another postcard he'd penned. One with the cheeky little sketch of a rising sun. Where are these postcards then? Did you see where she kept them? Yes, actually. She burned the invitation to the eagle, but she put the one with the drawing in her album. I think it was hidden in the dresser. Police set out to find these missing postcards. Constables poked through Bert and Emily's fireplace and found a few bits of charred paper. It seemed like these were all that was left of the second postcard. Now they needed to find the first one. The one with the winking sun on it. Police rummaged through the apartment, but to no avail. It had disappeared. Weeks passed with no sign of the mystery postcard. 
The investigation was beginning to stall. Police had interviewed nearly all of Emily's clients, and all of them had cast-iron alibis for the night of September 11th. But they hadn't talked to Robert Wood yet. In fact, they didn't even know who he was. He'd always been careful to keep his identity a secret, because no one at the pub knew his name. No one could track him down. Meanwhile, papers across England began to report on the horrific attack. Emily's double life made for a shocking headline, and the brutality of the crime left all of Camden Town uneasy. They desperately wanted to know who was responsible, but it seemed like an answer wasn't coming anytime soon. On September 25th, about two weeks after the murder, Bert Shaw paced around his small flat. He couldn't bear living there anymore. Every inch of it reminded him of Emily, and he could never look at the bedroom the same way. He had no choice but to move. Bert started packing, stashing away every memory of Emily Dimmick. He pulled out one of her dresser drawers, turning it over to dump the contents out. Much to Bert's surprise, a postcard flitted out and landed at his feet. A small drawing of a rising sun winked back at him. Thanks again for tuning in to Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode on the Camden Town murder. For more information on the mystery, we found The Great Trials of the 20th Century, The Camden Town Murder by Sir David Napoli, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, Freddie Rivera, and Carly Madden. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Ellie Margulis, edited by Kylie Harrington and Giles Hofseth, fact-checked by Catherine Barner, researched by Mickey Taylor, and produced by Travis Clark. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Jerry Courtney Osteen, Tom Bauer, Joe Hernandez, Ellie Schiff, and Jen Wong. Unsolved Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. 